0: You. I am so thrilled that I'm coming to New Hampshire after winning Iowa.
1: See, everyone's a winner.
0: Well,
2: I don't know why I came here tonight. I got the feeling there's something right. I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left me. Because to the right, here I am, stuck in the middle with you Here I am Yes, I'm stuck in the middle with you
1: From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast As heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA Up in Oregon on 91.7 FM KYAQ on the Central Coast 106.7 FM Queso in Cozy Cottage Grove Out in Pennsylvania on 93FM WLRI in lovely Lancaster. Out in Hawaii on 88.5FM KAKU, the voice of Maui. Up in Minnesota in Minneapolis-St. Paul, AM 950 KTNF, the progressive voice of Minnesota. And of course, coast to coast and around the globe. Streaming on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, Radio or Not, Radio Free Brooklyn, GDPR Nashville, and of course, Radio Sputnik. Five days a week, at least, right here on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman, your friendly, investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, all-around swell fellow, says me, from bradblog.com. Thank you for joining us today. Once again, yes, we do have another thrilling adventure. Uh, if I can stay awake, if I can stay coherent, after last night's uh, incredible, rather uh, amazing caucuses up in the great Hawkeye State, the state of Iowa. Now, I often remind folks right before elections that it sometimes takes days or even weeks or sometimes months and years before problems in any particular election come to light. Problems with the integrity of the election, the way the election is run, uh, errors in the administration, fraud, whether it's voter fraud, which is very rare, or insider election fraud, which is less rare. Well, this is not one of those times, at least, where we have to wait days and weeks to uh, be concerned about the results. While it may take days or weeks to figure out what actually did happen in, uh, in Iowa, the fact uh, that there was trouble at the Iowa caucuses started becoming quite apparent to those of us not in Ohio- Iowa Just a few hours after the caucuses had uh, had closed and after the GOP results were declared and candidates had their various victory uh, or near victory speeches, that was on the Republican side. But the problems began to reveal themselves on the Democratic side. So if the Iowa caucuses on Monday night are any indication of where the 2016 races on both sides are now headed, well, buckle up. That's all I can tell you. Buckle up uh, and and don't forget to drop something in the tip jar at bradblog.com slash donate because I think we may need to hire a few dozen more people to cover all of this this year. Good Lord. Uh, For now, however, we'll just leave it all to Desi Doyen to figure it out, to cover it all, to record it all, to bring it all to you. How are you, Desi Doyen? I'm all right. That was a brilliant idea.
3: Let me do it all. Yeah,
1: let her do it. (laughs) All right. Well, uh, l- let me uh, we got a lot to cover today. Looking forward to speaking with my guest who may give us some clarity in Iowa about what the hell actually went on in Iowa. But let me just uh, turn back the clock for a moment back to 2012. In 2012, it was the Republicans turn to be embarrassed by the Iowa caucuses. This year, it's apparently the Democrats turn. Now, uh, a lot of this had to do with the closeness of the race, both in 2012 and this year in 2016. In 2012, on the Republican side, the winner of the Iowa caucuses was eventually discovered to be Rick Santorum, who edged out Mitt Romney by just 34 votes, but that took several weeks to figure it out. On caucus night, the party, the Republican Party, had declared Mitt Romney to be the winner before caucus goers who were actually allowed to oversee the actual hand counting of paper ballots at each precinct, at each caucus site, uh, before they had noticed that the party had misreported the raw vote totals at a number of locations around the state. That allowed Rick Santorum back in 2012 to officially become the winner, but it took about two weeks Or more before, uh, you know, everybody before the Republican Party would acknowledge that, in fact, Santorum won. So he lost what might have been bigger uh, mojo, Rick Mentum, uh, that he might have gained upon uh, upon winning Iowa. And now we've got a similarly close result on the Democratic side. And when that happens, we begin to see all of the little problems that might have gone completely unnoticed had the race uh, had a definitive winner. When it's this close, everybody starts scrutinizing, and as well they should, to figure out what actually happened. Now, that said, there were apparently all kinds of various problems on Monday night that a number of Iowa caucus goers seemed to indicate were very unusual and chaotic and unlike anything at least that they had ever seen. Most of those people who so far I have been able to speak to have been Bernie Sanders supporters. Uh, And they report that the chaos was even worse than it was during the higher turnout caucuses back in the hyper partisan 2008 uh, race between Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama. So, okay, we may be figuring this out as we go today. And in the next few days, the next few weeks, as I say, I don't know. We'll see where this goes. So first, some basics, some basic information um, about what happened, about what the reported results are, and some facts about what we actually do and don't know. So let's get the GOP stuff out of the way first for now, since that seems to be a bit easier this year to make sense of. Ironically enough, perhaps, with all of those candidates in the race. So the winner of the GOP 2016 Iowa caucuses was reportedly Ted Cruz. His reported victory at this time seems to be clear enough as yet to be questioned by anyone, at least to my knowledge. Cruz won with 27.6 percent of the vote, followed by Donald Trump at 24.3 percent, just 3 percent off little more than three. And then Rubio uh, at 23.1 nipping at Donald Trump's heels. Everyone else, everyone else, all what do we got about 10 more or so of them were down in the double digits in order going down. Fourth place was Carson. Fifth place was Rand Paul. Then came Jeb Bush way down there with 2.8 percent. That's it. Compare that to Cruz at 27 percent. Uh, Fiorina 1.9 percent, Kasich 1.9 percent, and then Christie, actually, Chris Christie lost to Fiorina. He lost to Bush. He lost to John Kasich. He lost to Mike Huckabee, who dropped out of the race last night after the results came out. And then there was Rick Santorum. Remember him, the winner from 2012? He had just one percent of the vote. The only person that he beat was Jim Gilmore. Ever heard of him? No? Okay. Well, that, that's who uh, Rick Santorum be
3: Is is Huckabee the only one that has dropped out since? S-
1: since the Iowa caucus, yes. Only wow. Huckabee is out. Everyone else, for now, is still in is heading to New Hampshire.
3: Does make you wonder what their threshold is for dropping out.
1: <laughs> well, you know, it's an industry now on the Republican side. They stand to make a lot of money, get uh, good gigs at Fox News. Uh, Mike Huckabee already had his Fox News gig. So I guess he's uh, he doesn't need to stay in any longer. So, yeah, it does make you wonder. But you know what? Iowa is very different than New Hampshire. Different types of voters, a primary system as opposed to a caucus system. And it's only one week away at this point, so we'll see. We'll see what happens. I suspect after New Hampshire, a lot of these guys actually will drop out. Uh, And they might do it between now and New Hampshire as well. In any event, uh, Cruz's victory in Ohio translates into eight delegates. All of this, all of this for eight delegates to the Republican National Convention. Trump and uh, uh, Rubio get seven each. And then uh, Carson gets three, and then Paul, Bush, Fiorina, and Kasich each get one. Nobody else gets nothing out of this. Um, there are still three delegates to be awarded. Uh, that happens, I believe, at the party convention later on down the line in Iowa. Uh, that's how, by the way, Ron Paul in 2012 ended up receiving more delegates out of Iowa than either the initial Fake winner Mitt Romney or the actual winner of the Iowa caucuses, uh, Rick Santorum, back in 2012. Uh, for all of that and for uh, Bush's one delegate and 2.8 percent of the vote, he spent more than anyone else in Iowa, $14 million. Rubio maybe got his money worth. money's worth at $11.7 million he spent to come in third. And then show up last night to declare victory as if he had come in first. But you know what? Maybe he did to some extent. In that now he seems to be the only so-called viable establishment candidate, at least in Iowa. Then uh, Rubio spent 7.4 million, and he took the victory. Wait, Rubio, no, I'm sorry, Cruz. Cruz, thank you. Spent 7.4 million. Trump spent 3.5 million. And by the way, uh, as uh, some of the uh, entrance polls and that's what they do for caucuses, they poll people on the way in for all of the hubbub over the past few weeks with the uh, Republican debates about immigration and who is tougher and more manly uh, and more exclusive than uh, the other guy. The top issues in the on the GOP side were uh, the top issue was spending government spending at 32 percent jobs 27 percent terror at 25 percent immigration way down at 13 percent the fourth uh, most interesting uh, topic for caucus goers as i noted mike huckabee dropped out suspended his campaign and by the way he won in the republican iowa caucuses in 2008 so a fickle bunch those folks in iowa they uh, 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 Choose Mike Huckabee in 08, Santorum in 2012, and now they have no time for either of them whatsoever. On the Democratic side, Martin O'Malley also suspended his campaign. So those are the two folks who dropped out last night. Iowa state GOP reports more than 180,000 turned out for the Republican caucuses, shattering the record from 2012 by nearly 60,000 caucus goers so that was a lot of a lot of interest in that race for good or bad on the Republican side there's a lot of energy for the Republicans at least in Iowa Democrats also had a very high turnout but not as high as they did in 2008 they reportedly had some 171,000 caucus goers so just a little bit about 9,000 less than the Republicans there University of Florida election expert Michael McDonald reports that first time caucus goers, according to that entrance poll, uh, were uh, on the Republican side. Forty six percent who showed up were first time caucus goers on the Democratic side. Forty two percent. The only uh, sort of potential problem on the Republican side that I'm getting a whiff of as far as election integrity so far. uh, Edward True, he's the. One of the, uh, the the folks who first came out back in 2012 to say, wait a minute, no, Mitt Romney didn't get 22 votes at my precinct. He got two, not 22. Edward True tells me that when he showed up uh, Monday at the caucuses in Iowa, at the Republican caucuses, he says he wasn't even on the voter roll. Yeah, I know. Strange. Even with his voter registration card in hand, he said he had to re-register right then and there. I asked him if anyone else had similar problems. He said he was told there was others. Apparently one of the people signing uh, people into the caucus wasn't on the list either. What does that mean for the future? You know, for the caucus, they were able to uh, uh, to re uh, to re-register right then and there. But for the future, does that mean that something happened to the Iowa registration rolls? Will that come back into play later on this year in November? Don't know, but I'm sticking it out there. All right. Democratic side, a mess. The Iowa caucuses, I should note, are run by the parties, not by the state unlike the actual election uh, in November, which is run by the state, unlike most of the primaries around the country. But the caucuses are actually run by the parties themselves. I mentioned already how it was the Republicans starting to fail back in 2012, and now the Democrats just, boy, I think they failed last night at least to conclusively figure out who actually won the Iowa caucuses. A close race is not in and of itself a failure, but there were a lot of problems. Now, to the extent that statewide delegates to the National Convention are up for grabs in Iowa, they are going to be split proportionately among the candidates no matter what, as opposed to a winner-take-all situation, as you see in, in some of the states later on on the Republican side. But the, the delegate counts for Sanders and Clinton may arguably be less. They're going to pretty much split it right down the middle, but the delegate count may be less important than the PR victory, the bragging rights that come with being able to say you won the Iowa caucus and uh, whatever momentum that gives you as you as the campaigns head into New Hampshire. So now, officially, as we go to air, the AP has finally now, finally called the Democratic side of the Iowa caucus And they have called it for Hillary Clinton. Iowa's Democratic Party, AP Reports, which tabulated the results on Monday night, declared that Hillary Clinton won a few more delegates than Sanders. Man, this was uh, at 44 a.m. local time on Tuesday is when the Democratic Party finally declared that. But AP would not call it that night, last night, this morning. They didn't call it until about 1 p.m. on Tuesday afternoon and said with a difference of less than three-tenths of one percent with all but one precinct reporting, the party's delegate selection uh, uh, plan requires that the state party certify the results and report them to the Democratic National Committee within three days of that certification. But the plan doesn't spell out what that certification involves. That was late last night or early this morning. And now they say that Hillary Clinton has in fact won. They have 100% of Iowa's 1681 precincts reporting their results, Clinton winning by 0.3 percent over Sanders, 49.9% to 49.6%. Wowzer. The AP explained the delay as the result of waiting for the state party to finally certify those results. It's unclear how they certify them or if they certified them, but they're claiming they're certified. And so uh, they called it after the Democratic Party announced their totals and after apparently the Bernie Sanders campaign has said it did not intend to ask for a recount they'll still have that right to do it but as i understand but so far they have not clinton wins 23 delegates essentially state delegates uh, to the national convention sanders wins 21 so it's just a two delegate difference according to the entrance polls a remarkable 84% of the uh, young voters below 30 uh, the age of uh, 30 Eighty four percent went for Sanders versus about 14 percent for Clinton. He had almost twice as many voters as um, as Clinton uh, between the ages of 30 to 44. And then things start turning around. Older voters went in big numbers for Hillary Clinton. So a couple of milestones here. We should note that uh, if Hillary Clinton ended up did, in fact, win, as it would appear, then she will have made history as the first woman ever to win the Iowa caucus. That's pretty cool and pretty huge and kind of long overdue. Matt Katz out of New Jersey uh, points out that it was a big night for Jewish Americans. Bernie Sanders is the first Jewish presidential candidate to ever win any delegates in well, Iowa. see, so there it was a night of firsts. There you go. It was that. Obviously, I will let... Um, Since so many people are covering this and I want to get uh, as soon as I can to uh, our guest here, I will let other people for now make sense of the politics of all of this. Obviously, uh, it would have been a huge loss for Hillary had she lost outright, even in a virtual tie. She is doing okay. Um, that's better than a a, a loss for her, uh, you know, a loss for her in Iowa, where just months ago she was up anywhere from thirty to fifty points over Sanders would have been devastating. So she's hanging tight. Whereas a loss for Sanders, I think, in Iowa, short of a blowout, wouldn't have hurt him quite as much as it would have hurt her, since the expectations for him, at least from the corporate mainstream media, had uh, you know, for whatever reason. Appropriate or appropriately or not, been much lower. He still remains ahead in New Hampshire for now, according to the polls. And uh, he made it clear by this uh, virtual tie, as his campaign described it, that Clinton had been, you know, expected just a few weeks ago to win handily. But Bernie Sanders showed that he can at least take on the perceived front runner. Hillary Clinton in a big way and showing that he can do that and win in November is important to Bernie Sanders. So they kind of both walk away with a, a victory politically. But we'll let other people deal with that. We'll deal with that down the road as far as problems at the Democratic caucuses. And this is something that obviously we look at very closely at bradblog.com here on the broadcast uh, while everyone else is kind of, you know, looking at the politics and the numbers. We're looking at the problems. And as I said, sometimes it takes a while to come out. But there were problems uh, at the polls. CNN changed their headline on their uh, lead Iowa story from did Hillary Clinton really win Iowa to Hillary Clinton wins Iowa caucus after uh, AP made their call. There were uh, very late in the night some 90 missing um, Precincts, uh, results from precincts at, at 90 different uh, uh, precincts around the around the state. There was a bit of a kerfuffle when the Sanders camp said that Iowa Democratic Party officials had informed his campaign that uh, there, there there were not precinct chairs, chairmen and chairwomen at 90 of those precincts. The Democrats, uh, the Democratic Party, state Democratic Party said that was absolutely not true. There were chairs, but they were somehow missing The results or they weren't finalized, even though they had them from they could have gotten them from the campaigns who were also there. It's a fairly transparent procedure, if a confusing one. But they um, they could have gotten them from the campaigns, but they're supposed to be getting them from the actual party officials who are there overseeing uh, all of this. And for some reason which I'll ask my guest about uh, coming up, Uh, there were for a time some 90 precincts late, late at night that didn't have their results in. There were also about six different uh, caucus sites that saw coin tosses to determine who would actually win uh, the leftover uh, uh, county delegate in other words where you know where you had cases where there was an, an even number of voters but an odd number of delegates we'll talk to my guest about that as well there were a number of uh, messes that were caught on video i don't think that we have time maybe we'll play it uh, later or, or tomorrow um, because i've been talking with bev harris of black box voting about all of this these videos she says even though they show sometimes a chaos in some of these uh, caucuses It's actually a good thing. It means that people are getting it. It means that people are starting to not just oversee their own elections, but videotape it to allow the whole world to see. So things that look like chaos, uh, that's actually a good thing, says Bev Harris of Black Box Voting, at least in these cases where you've got a few incidents that are questionable. Uh, we're not seeing a whole, whole lot of them yet, but when you look at one, you think, oh, man, what a mess. What a mess going on in Iowa. And well, maybe some of these caucuses are a bit messy. There was uh, something over at C-SPAN uh, described as voter fraud at a, uh, a Polk County uh, uh, caucus site. It was absolutely not voter fraud. There were questions. There are questions about the way those uh, uh Uh, caucus-goers were counted and the way the results were divvied up. But the good news is we can see it on video. We can try to figure out what the hell happened. To help us figure out what the hell happened in Iowa is my guest, Professor David P. Redlosk of Rutgers University. He will be joining us next. He knows just about uh, more than anybody about this insane and mysterious process that we call the Iowa caucuses, particularly on the Democratic side. He joins us next to help make sense of it all. I'm Brad Friedman. This is your broadcast. Don't touch that dial. <laughs> Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com with you here in our uh, post-Iowa caucus coverage. Once again, the reported results from each of the parties in Iowa last night at the caucuses show a win for Ted Cruz on the Republican side with Donald Trump coming in second, Marco Rubio just barely behind him in third, everyone else in the pack far behind those three on the GOP side. That's being reported as a disappointment for Trump and a victory for both Cruz, whose victory speech may have been a record length last night, and for Rubio, whose speech seemed to suggest that he thinks he might actually have won the uh, uh, GOP-Iowa caucuses, at least the way he declared victory. But as the uh, so-called establishment lane winner, that might be uh, as good as a win for Marco Rubio, far ahead of all of the other so-called establishment candidates like Bush and Kasich and Christie, etc. But over on the Democratic side, things are much murkier with echoes of the mess that the Republicans dealt with during their amazingly close 2012 caucuses in Iowa. The Democratic side, as I say, is murkier in terms of both the accuracy of the results and what they may actually mean politically, with AP now reporting that Hillary Clinton was, in fact, the winner of the Democratic Iowa caucuses by just three-tenths of a percentage point over Bernie Sanders, 499 to 49.6% is what's currently being reported. But there are a lot of Sanders supporters very concerned about the way the results came in and about problems reported at various caucus sites throughout the night, all of which is uh, made possible, frankly, not just by the close results, by the incredibly close results, but also by the impossible to understand mathematics and procedures in use in the Democratic Iowa caucuses. So is all of the concern about those results in Iowa, is that a result of sloppy procedures by the state Democratic Party? Was there some sort of institutional bias at play in favor of Hillary Clinton? Is it the impossibly difficult to understand super secret math formulas that only Iowa Democrats uh, seem to possibly be able to understand? Or is this just the sort of thing that we see when we have results that are this close and partisans begin paying very close attention on behalf of their favorite candidates? Here to hopefully help us make some sense of all of this today is Professor David P. Redlosk. He is the uh, professor of political science and the director of the Rutgers-Eagleton Poll at the uh, Rutgers University-Eagleton Institute of Politics. He's an expert on the Iowa caucuses. Whoever I talked to uh, late last night and said, what the hell is going on? They said, talk to Red Lusk. Anyway, he's also author of Why Iowa, How Caucuses and Sequential Elections Improve the Presidential Nominating Process. And his new book is The Positive Case, for negative campaigning. Professor David Redlosk, welcome to the broadcast, sir.
0: Thanks for having me.
1: I uh, really appreciate it. I know it was a impossibly long night for you uh, in Iowa and that you've been traveling all day. Uh, so you are forgiven if you end up being as confused by all of this <laughs> as me. Uh, I, I, I want to try to understand why we are seeing the various problems that we are now seeing Uh, in in the hours and now the next day after uh, the Iowa caucuses. But first, I want to try and understand what those problems actually are, which is not necessarily easy uh, to do uh, today. So the results were reported uh, last night. Results from 90 precincts were still out as of late on Monday night, early into Tuesday morning, reportedly representing as much as 5% of the vote. The Sanders campaign reported this as... 90 caucus sites, which didn't have party caucus chairs, but the Democratic Party vigorously disputed that. They said it was not chairs that were missing. It was results that were reported by those chairs, which had not come in for some reason. So do you have any better idea of what went on there and and how it can be that caucus chairs would not report numbers back to the party a- at the end of the night?
0: So so I'm going to uh, speak from perspective, both of as somebody who's done a good deal of research mm-hmm. on the Iowa caucus process, but for full disclosure, I used to live in Iowa, I was at the University of Iowa, and I chaired Democratic precinct caucuses over a couple of cycles. Uh-huh. So I was in the middle of that, and in particular in the middle of that in 2008, when the turnout was massive and there was an awful lot of, of confusion mm-hmm. just because of the turnout, but on the other hand, Obama won a convincing victory so it wasn't that big a deal. It, it, my point here is that any time an election is especially close, right? Then, then it's going to bring to the front areas that might normally not be considered significant problems. And, and in this case, I, I think that's what we're seeing. There are 1,681 precincts in Iowa, so you can look at 90 still out as um, at that time as um, either that's a pretty good uh, return rate by now, or, wow, that's still a lot sitting out there. Um, the caucuses are run by volunteers. They're not a primary election run by the state and state election officials. So there's a staff at the Democratic Party, but every one of those precincts relies on volunteers to make it happen. Uh-huh. So that's a really important point that I think a lot of people don't understand. Now the The, the party does as much training as possible they do it at the county level so Mm -hmm. you know they don't have to do 1600 trainings but but you know obviously there are going to be people who are not going to be as well trained as others there are going to be people who maybe have been doing it forever and just are set in their ways and so on um so i don't know specifics about those 90 precincts i do know Mm -hmm. that as at the time we're talking they've reported every precinct at this point and put out a final result
1: that um, that's what they're now saying. So, but yeah. but you're you're saying that it is even. Uh, I think this would have been uh, two, three, four o'clock in the morning. It is possible. It is legitimate that these precinct chairs would not have. I mean, my concern. Yeah. It seems like yeah. impossible that you would hold a caucus no, that's right. and then not yeah. call in the numbers wh- yeah. when you well, were done.
0: No, that's right. And the the instructions are pretty clear, right? I, I talk about training, and there's actually a booklet that mm-hmm. if they just follow it it's all good Mm -hmm. but we're talking about human beings here and people screw up Mm -hmm. it it is not unknown in fact in twenty twelve for the republicans they had a couple of of precinct chairs go home and be unreachable and of course they had a virtual tie Mm -hmm. as well so we're dealing with that now having having said that Mm -hmm. right the the both parties this year used a um, an app designed by microsoft Mm -hmm. to do the reporting and so a lot of, a lot of uh, emphasis was put on using your smartphone to do the reporting. Again, I don't know the specifics about the, the particular precincts, but there are certainly plenty of folks in Iowa, Carly Fiorina actually made fun of this at one point in the campaign, who don't use smartphones. <laughs> so it's new technology when they're being asked to do this in the middle of potentially a crazy turnout caucus. But I'm not you know, I'm not suggesting that, you know, this was a good thing. Right. <laughs> they,
2: yeah.
0: um, but I will tell you that the physical process historically was stop the caucus, report your numbers, continue the caucus, then take all the written paperwork which is signed by candidate representatives mm-hmm. and take it to the county party Usually, some particular location caucus night, and then over the next couple of days, the county party goes through the paperwork and ships off to Des Moines, you know, the appropriate things, and then the state party essentially audits the whole thing.
1: And and that's so that's sort of a a, a double check that can, will will take place in the days ahead. We talked uh, in some detail last week about this Microsoft app and that it was yeah. essentially used to. Send in the results from the caucuses to the party right. on caucus night, but now they will actually go back and compare the written paper totals, the the counts from each precinct, to those numbers that were either phoned in or came in via the smart app. Correct?
0: Yeah, there's a right. There is a there is a verification process that that goes on, and and so now the other thing I should point out is that. Uh, what you, you noted what you called the impossible to understand caucus math, yes. and the reason that exists for the Democrats is because they're not reporting votes, they're reporting these delegate counts, and so the simplest way to think about it is you might have a precinct with six delegates to award mm-hmm. to the candidates, and if you have 150 people there, right? Mm-hmm. you have however many go to each candidate, then determines what share of the delegates they get. The only reason it gets uh, at all complicated is you can't split a delegate in half or any other number. It has to be a whole person Mm -hmm. because it represents a real person. So this caucus math is really, at its core, standard arithmetic rounding that goes on. But it does seem to stump people for some
1: reason. <laughs> yeah, well, those <laughs> of us not in Ohio, we don't get it. Uh, not Ohio, Iowa. I, I mean, uh, yeah, you know. Um, well, and, and I want to talk about those percentages in a second and these these coin flips. But before I do, uh, the Sanders camp had called for the release of the actual right. raw vote titles uh, totals from each uh, site, each caucus site. Uh, are are, are you able to, there were, there was some talk they called for it and then they didn't. And, uh, is there any problem that you would anticipate in releasing those raw vote totals? They came in very handy, as we know, back in 2012 at the, uh, Republican caucuses, which, and of course they have a different procedure, but is there, is there any reason why they wouldn't just release the raw vote totals from each of the caucus sites?
0: Yeah, because it's actually impossible. I mean, I shouldn't say impossible. It is um, there, there, there are two things about it. One is that if you aggregate statewide the vote, it's not particularly meaningful for the Democrats because they allocate their delegates-based precinct by precinct. Mm-hmm. And so some precincts have very high turnout, other precincts have lower turnout, but the number of delegates that the precinct gets is based on the general election Voting strength in the last two general elections. This is not unique to Iowa and it's not unique to the Democrats. Delegates are awarded in every state Mm -hmm. all the way through this process and they're allocated by district in most states based on voting strength. So no matter how many people turn out to caucus or no matter how many people vote in the primary, that voting district gets the same number of delegates. So you could have Johnson County, Iowa, Mm -hmm. home of the University of Iowa, have 900 people show up at a caucus Mm -hmm. and have 12 delegates to award and take 75 people per delegate to win a delegate. And then you could have uh, uh, another precinct, a rural precinct in the exact same county that might only award two delegates, but maybe only 40 people show up. Uh Uh-huh and it only takes 20 people to win a delegate. Right. So aggregating those numbers statewide is not going to actually correlate that well to the delegate count. So that's a piece of it. The second and it doesn't make it illegitimate, it's just the way the process is designed. Mm-hmm. The second piece is goes back in history and that is Iowa jumped New Hampshire as the first event in 1972. Right. New Hampshire's not a big fan of that. Um, And for a number of years, there were battles between Iowa and New Hampshire about going first. Somewhere around 1983, an agreement was reached with the Democrats on both sides, Mm -hmm. and that is New Hampshire would have the first primary, Iowa would have the first caucus, as long as the Iowa caucus did not look like a primary. And the way it was designed to not look like a primary was, don't report the raw vote, Oh. Report the delegate count.
1: Interesting. But uh, uh, yeah. on the Republican side, ah. they do yep. report the uh, the raw and, vote. And and, and just for reason, transparency, yep. by the way, and oversight by the by the public, you know, not the raw yeah. uh, totals, yeah. but just be yeah. able to oversee the the yeah. uh, precinct numbers.
0: And, and the reason that de- the Republicans could do this without raising New Hampshire's ire was until this year, there was no connection whatsoever between their vote count and their election of delegates they were completely separate things the republicans elect their their delegates at large after they cast their secret ballot the democrats allocate their delegates to the candidates based on the support for the candidate they, i say it's different this year because for various rules changes the republicans at the national level at the national committee or convention rather the iowa republican party will report it's vote either 100 percent for the nominee if there's no if there's only one person in nomination, uh-huh. or strictly in proportion to the caucus results if it's a competitive convention. But that's the first time that's ever happened, and until now, again the New Hampshire side said, well, it's not a primary; it's a beauty contest. We're
1: OK with that. Wow. That, fascinating. But those yeah. numbers do exist. Right. So if Sanders in his case, I mean, there's nothing illegal. Yeah. The parties get to decide how to do it. If Sanders was concerned, for example, about these results and requested those raw, raw vote totals just to you know, double check that impossible math, that should be possible at least for their campaign to to look at those numbers, even if they're not released to the public. Right.
0: Well, I I don't think you can release numbers of a campaign and not expect them to be public. Right. Well, right. <laughs> Let's talk reality okay, here. Okay. Right? Fair enough. Um, um, but yes, the numbers certainly do exist. Right. I mean, that's you know that's certainly true. And in fact, what's really interesting about the Democrats is the numbers that don't exist anywhere, at least historically, are the first alignment. That is, when people enter into mm. the room and separate into their candidates, they're counted. Mm-hmm. And that first alignment is people's initial preference. Right. The whole reason that Democrats do this thing is because they give the opportunity to people to express a second choice if their first choice isn't viable. And I should point out, for what it's worth, this viability threshold is also not unique to Iowa. You can't win delegates in primary states at the district or state level, without reaching viability
1: thresholds. Uh, you talked about the, and that and we should say the viability, it was uh, generally 15% that uh, yeah. candidates would have to reach to be included in the final count at each caucus site, right. and in many cases, uh, presumably, for example, Martin O'Malley might not have reached that 15% threshold. Right. His delegates... W- or, I'm sorry, his supporters would then uh, have to choose one of the other candidates, uh, all of which underscores what you described earlier, the fact that we're dealing with sort of fractional uh, yep. uh, numbers here, which then results in, as we have seen, uh, I think by the account so far that I've seen at the Des Moines Register, some six different coin flips around the state <laughs> where the coin flips determined. Uh, who uh, which candidate would receive the delegates uh, delegates and by the way in so far as being reported all six coin flips (laughs) have gone to hillary clinton
0: right well (laughs) that's not as as frankly it's actually not probabilistically as strange as it sounds because each coin flip is an individual uh, action and each coin flip has a 50 50 shot regardless right it would be just as unlikely for three to go to Sanders and three to go to Clinton, in other words, uh-huh. the same probabilities. But the see the, you
1: Iowa people in your math again. There you no, go. There you go. There you but go. here's
0: the thing, right? This coin flip thing, huge deals being made of it, and it's not. Firstly, every process has a way to break ties, mm-hmm. and so the coin flip came in comes into play if there's the, exactly the same number of people supporting multiple candidates, and there's an extra delegate that needs to be allocated. So let's take a precinct with five delegates, Mm -hmm. and let's say 50 people for Clinton and 50 people for Sanders. Obviously, they each get two county convention delegates, two of these delegates. Where does that fifth one go? Well, the answer is you've got to do some kind of game of chance, Mm -hmm. and the Democrats use a coin flip.
1: And that was also used, I, I believe, in one case where uh, some of the uh, caucus goers did not make it all the way till the end. They left and this threw off the math uh, in some cases. And so there was, I guess, an extra. They weren't sure how to allocate that. And so, again, the party instructed them to use a coin flip. Yeah. Um
0: the, but I, let me say yeah. one other quick thing about that. So, we're talking now about the county convention delegates, not about the state equivalents that the party reports. Mm-hmm. So, it isn't that Sanders lost six of his 690 odd delegates to these coin flips. Right. He lost six of the thousands of county <laughs> convention delegates that get calculated into state equivalents, again, more of that man. Yeah,
1: see, there you go again. All right, <laughs> okay. well, The there, there were a number of videos uh, uh, throughout the night that I was looking at uh, late night and again today uh, showing a bit of chaos or... Uh, in one case, at least, some kind of hinky counting going on. C-SPAN inaccurately described one of these apparent uh, uh, miscounts by a Clinton precinct captain as, quote-unquote, voter fraud. It was not voter fraud. At worst, it would have been election fraud. The voters were fine. Um, this was uh, one of the videos from Polk County uh, uh, Polk County Caucus site. Uh, have you seen or heard anything, Professor David Redlosk, that would... Uh, give you reason to be concerned about the validity of the actual vote counting at those caucus sites last night and the numbers we now have today?
0: Uh, not really, no. I mean, the, the the fact is that, again, because the Democrats do this in the form of stand up and be counted publicly, mm-hmm. it's always more chaotic than if they were casting a secret ballot, for mm-hmm. example, Right. Although watching the Republicans at the caucus I was at count the paper secret ballots is a little chaotic because there were 422 of them. Right. Um, you know. So, but when you've got a bunch of people milling around in a space and and because of the turnout a crowded space, it is definitely more problematic. Um, my own when I when I was in Iowa, my own caucus the uh, one of the years uh, my wife Alicia actually chaired our caucus. And and we expected nearly four hundred people, and she came up with what I thought was a brilliant idea, which was she created cards with numbers on them, and as people registered, they got a numbered card, and they knew exactly how many people were there, and then they collected the cards to do the count.
1: Well, see the.
0: It's a great. I know. I mean, I don't know. I thought it'd be something they ought to adopt everywhere, but it's. (laughs) You
1: know. <laughs> well, that's what I was going to ask. Is there a way? Well, you know what? Let me get to that in a second, because i got a few more questions I want to get to. Uh, the We talked about this a little bit at the beginning, but, you know, the election director's prayer. Uh, Please, God, don't let this be a close election, I right. think is how it goes. Uh, <laughs> you would then chalk up the various problems that we have seen, sometimes the processes that look like chaos when you look at them, uh, on video and so forth, uh, you think that's not necessarily the result of a poorly run process, but that that happens in, in, every year in Iowa, and we are just now seeing it because of the closeness of this election?
0: Well, I think what what the Democrats have tried to create, and, you know, no, perf- no system's perfect, but they've cri- tried to create a system that would allow people both to stand up and be counted, but also to express a second choice, if that came into play, we don't often get that chance in American politics. Mm-hmm. You know, in a primary, your guy doesn't make viability, your vote is wasted. So, you know, th- that but that creates more complication. It creates more potentials for errors, and so yes, if you have a extraordinarily close election, you know, you're going to see where those problems and errors pop up. Honestly, as a as a quantitative political scientist myself, I know about error. There's always error in everything we do. Our hope is the error is random, because random error cancels itself out, right? We don't right. know if it's random, but our hope is that it's random. Right. And I'll just direct you know, your listeners' attention to uh, Florida in 2000. It's a long time ago now, but mm-hmm. that was a state-run election, and it didn't go particularly well.
1: Well, since <laughs> since I've only got a minute or two left with you here, I won't even open that particular can of worms. <laughs> I, I think you might understand why all of I that. Do. <laughs> uh, with with that said, uh, given the mess of the GOP Iowa caucuses back in yeah. 2012, when it was you know announced that Mitt Romney was the winner, but it was actually Rick Santorum who won by right. 34 votes, and then of course Ron Paul ended up getting all uh, more delegates than anybody else oh. once the convention came, and now this mess, uh, or at least seeming mess. Yeah. As At the Democratic convention, Uh, I'm sorry, Democratic uh, caucuses in Iowa. Is there reason to believe that something will change? Maybe they'll go to your wife's uh, system, uh, or or that uh, or either something will change, or that Iowa could finally lose its coveted uh, first in the nation status. Uh, What do you see happening next time out in 2020? Now that both parties have sort of been hit by this plague over the past two cycles.
0: Well, the reality is after 2012 on the Republican side, something did change, and, and the Microsoft app is part of that something, right, trying to improve the reporting mechanism. And particularly for the Republicans, it really paid off this time. But I, I would argue it paid off for the Democrats, too. They did report a lot more precincts a lot earlier than they used to. Hmm. Um, the Republicans had, you know, a near-perfect setup, um, you know, with their app, but their process is so much simpler. They were mostly making sure numbers were entered correctly. Um, but but you know Iowa, there's there's always a risk, and I think that that the Democrats really need to t- pay careful attention to their to their process. They absolutely need to look at the training that they do and figure out how do you address a situation with you know 2,000 volunteers mm-hmm. who are giving their time to try to make this. Democ, you know, democratic small d mm-hmm. process work, but but you know, there's no doubt there's room for improvement, or the great hope that they'll never be won this close again. <laughs> yeah,
1: I was gonna say maybe we're back to the election officials prayer. We are uh, last qu- last uh, question here beyond bragging rights, uh, which are obviously huge in a case like this. How much ultimately, uh, how much effect do the specific numbers of delegates actually won in Iowa actually matter in a contest like this that you know could go on for a very long time? Yeah. Uh, at least if the pundit predictions today are correct.
0: Well, when it's close, every delegate counts. There's no question about it. We saw that in 2008 between um, Clinton and Obama, they were they were scrapping for every single delegate. But the really, really bottom line, interesting thing about Iowa last night is for the democrats there are no national convention delegates were selected they will these county convention delegates will go to county conventions in march they will do the same process again (laughs) and they will elect delegates to the state or to the district and state conventions then at those conventions they will do the same process again and then they will elect national convention delegates no one is bound people can change their minds the numbers we get from last night are just estimates of what the final Iowa National Convention totals will be for the Democrats.
1: Wow. Democracy. Gotta love it. And uh, (laughs) Iowa, even less important than uh, it would initially appear. Amazing. Professor David P. Redlosk of uh, the Rutgers-Eagleton Poll at Rutgers University-Eagleton Institute of Politics, author of Why Iowa, How Caucuses and Sequential Elections Improve." the presidential nominating process, so he says, uh, which you can learn more about at whyiowa.org, and his new book, The Positive Case for Negative Campaigning. Uh, professor, very helpful to talk to you today. Greatly appreciated, and I hope you'll not mind if we uh, bother you again to bring clarity to this process in the near future.
0: Anytime, Brad. Anytime.
1: Thank you, sir. Professor David P. Redlosk. All right, we're gonna take a quick break and we will be back with more broadcast right after this. I'm Brad Friedman. Stay tuned. <laughs> Welcome back to the broadcast, Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Desi Doyen, I didn't even know if we would be able to get to this today. I know. A short break. I was going to say a short break from presidential politics, but it's really not, is it? Nope. Our latest green news report.
0: No subsidies for oil and gas. No subsidies
1: for anyone.
3: Ted Cruz promises to eliminate all energy subsidies. But there's a catch.
1: When I am president of the United States of America, there will never be any cap and trade in the United
2: States.
3: Marco Rubio was for climate action before he was against it. Crashing oil prices blow a billion dollar hole in North Dakota's budget. Plus, bad news for salmon, but good news for solar in California.
1: All of that good and bad news straight ahead. From Bradblog.com, I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment.
0: Putin is a one-horse
1: country. He is? Oil and energy. Okay, then. Man, am I going to miss Ben Carson. Has he quit yet? This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, is it my imagination or were the Republican candidates actually asked about energy and climate change? at their recent uh, Republican debate. It
3: was not your imagination. It actually happened at the seventh Republican 2016 presidential primary debate held in Iowa. Climate change actually got a mention. Unbelievable. I know. Fox News debate moderator Brett Baier challenged Florida Senator Marco Rubio on his record, noting that he was for climate change action and renewable energy before he was against it once he got to the U.S. Senate. In
0: 2008, you wanted Florida to get ahead of other states and establish a cap-and-trade system.
1: Now you're a skeptic of climate change science, so why the change?
0: I do not believe that we have
2: to destroy our economy in order to protect our environment, and especially with these programs are asking us to pass that will do nothing to help the environment but will be devastating for our economy. When I am president of
1: the United States of America, there will never be any cap-and-trade in the United States. <laughs> that, of course is kind of completely the opposite of what he used to say back in 2006 or so.
3: And of course, it's completely blind to reality. The renewable energy sector is booming and now employs more Americans than the fossil fuel extraction industries. Also in that debate, Senator Ted Cruz of Texas tried to deflect criticism that he opposes the federal renewable fuel standard, which requires the use of U.S.-grown corn ethanol in gasoline. And it brings massive agriculture subsidies that are very popular in corn-based Iowa. Cruz says he just wants to remove all subsidies for all energy.
0: My tax plan eliminates every mandate, every subsidy, so there's no subsidies for oil and gas, no subsidies for anyone. But I'm committed to a fair and level playing field for every energy source without lobbyists and without Washington picking winners
2: and losers.
3: Now that might sound plausible, but there's a catch. As Ted Cruz well knows, Republicans hold the majority in Congress and they will never repeal the billions in annual taxpayer subsidies that the fossil fuel industry receives every year.
1: Not to mention, of course, that even if they did cancel the subsidies for oil and gas, the fossil fuels, it would still leave the fossil fuels way ahead in the game over Renewable energy, because the oil industry and the coal industry, for example, have had about a hundred extra years of uh, of subsidies. So. Even if you stop right now subsidizing everyone, you are still picking winners and losers, despite what these Republicans tell you.
3: And now in North Dakota, heavy reliance on oil and gas for revenue has blown a billion dollar hole in the state's budget now that global oil prices have crashed, in part caused by overproduction in the U.S. North Dakota's Republican Governor Jack Dalrymple on Monday ordered steep cuts to all state agencies, which won't help North Dakota's rural communities who now have to contend with the budget. After the oil boom
1: Live by the dirty fossil fuels Die by the dirty fossil fuels
3: Meanwhile, bad news for California salmon Despite extraordinary efforts From state and federal wildlife officials Only 3% of juvenile Endangered California Chinook salmon Survived to return to their Spawning grounds in 2015 That's according to the National Marine Fisheries Service Which said the juvenile salmon Were literally cooked to death In the hotter than normal Sacramento River Amid California's record drought and record heat wow but some good news for california's solar remember we reported a few weeks ago how the solar industry is leaving nevada after nevada's public utility commission voted to hike charges and fees for solar owners But now, in California, the State Public Utility Commission has now voted to maintain California's current policy of net metering, which pays rooftop solar homeowners retail prices for excess energy they sell back to the grid.
1: So Nevada Republicans have regulated the solar industry out of business in Nevada, but California Democrats are allowing private businesses to succeed as they like.
3: Which is why California has the biggest solar industry in the United States.
1: And why Republicans who claim they are against Big government regulations and against picking winners and losers are lying to you. For much more on all of our stories today and the ones we couldn't get to, check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find us and follow us on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman
3: and I'm Desi doyan
1: and this has been your Green News Report.
3: It's all in the air. You hear it everywhere. No matter what you.
1: My thanks to our producer today, Desi Doyen, to our booking goddess, Cynthia Cohn, and to my guest, Professor David P. Redlosk of Rutgers University's Eagleton Institute. Uh, how's that for packing three hours of content into about 57 minutes? If you missed any portion of today's program, you can download it at bradblog.com or over at iTunes. If you have any comments, drop me an email. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com, and I'm also the Bradblog on the Twitters and the Facebooks. See you there. Until we meet again, I'm Brad Friedman. Good luck, world.